Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest from the state capitol, a preview of upcoming Super Bowl commercials, and a Golden Gopher football player gives back to his community. But first... This is a tragic day in the city of Richfield. Our community, our hearts, our prayers, our thoughts go out to District 287, their students, their families, and their community. To us, there are students that come through our doors every day. We care for them. And this is a terrible tragedy and loss. We're deeply saddened by this incident, and we'll do everything we can to work with to support the families, classmates, and staff in whatever way possible. A school should be a place that every student feels safe and comfortable, that our staff and our teachers feel safe and comfortable, protected. And that was shattered yesterday for all of us after the event. A tragic, fatal school shooting rocks the community of Richfield and the state of Minnesota. I spoke with Christine Castillo of the group Moms Demand Action about this terrible event and what can be done moving forward to try to ensure that something like this never happens again. I I have the unique perspective because I'm a parent, but I'm also a teacher. Um, So for me, that was there were two aspects of that. The concern, of course, loss of life and the senseless violence that we keep dealing with, and the frustration as a volunteer and an advocate for reducing gun violence that we're seeing this continue. But also as a teacher, you there's always a thought in your mind, how did it happen, to understand it so if you are ever put in that situation, you can learn from it. And it seems a little bit morbid, but at the same time, there isn't a teacher who sees or hears that and isn't thinking, if this were to happen to me, what would I do? How would I handle this? So all three of those things, those, those avenues were flowing through my brain at the same time. And I um, considered all of those. But, you know, the, over, the underlying and overlying and, and main message and frustration of it is this, this doesn't need to happen. So... I just kind of feel like, when are we going to stop talking about it and do something about it? And I feel like a lot of people are at that point. Um, A lot of people may be at that point, but as you said, there's a lot of talk about it, but not a lot of action. What needs to happen for that next step to be taken, do you think? Well, it's a multidimensional problem, right? It doesn't, you can't just change one thing and the problem is solved. As soon as that's understood by our lawmakers and by um, the general public, then we could um, we could tackle the problem that way. So there's the safe storage aspect of it, right? How are they getting how are they getting these weapons? There's also the um, mental health aspect of it. Why are they using these weapons? And then um, you know uh, different different um, policies around background checks and around um, responsibility and the accountability for if this were to happen, and it was a safe storage issue, for example, if parents or owners of the guns are held accountable, then they, that, that would provoke them to control and manage where they put their guns and how they, how they have them so they're not able to be 
acquired by someone who shouldn't get them. And then, of course, you know, reducing the um, amount of guns that come in and out of states with lax laws so that it would have to be something where the entire country could be on the same page. There's a lot of pieces to it. But the first thing that needs to happen is that it needs to be understood as a public health crisis. It needs to be understood as a epidemic that we can't just keep discussing after the fact. We have to be proactive about it. So all of the common sense gun laws that are now being, uh, that have been introduced, you know, multiple years, they have to put them on the table and talk about them and decide what to do with those rather than, you know, say, well, we're we're fine right now. We'll wait till the next one, you know, but um, it's not a one catch all. It had, there's a lot of pieces to it, but the conversation needs to be, what are we doing about it to stop it from happening now? Um, so uh, the secure storage is a really good place to start. You talked a, a little bit ago about trying to learn something as a as a teacher and as a parent from from an incident like this. Obviously, we're in an era when our students are doing drills to uh, to learn how to prepare for just such a tragic event. Um, yet these events keep happening. Um, how can we change uh, the training or education to to try to help prevent some of these things from happening? That's a great question. I think there's a lot that can be done with mental health, and not just for um, the uh, in general, of course, in the school system. Students and teachers should have resources for that. Um, students, in order to um, process what they're dealing with teachers on how to help them and also teachers their own mental health. But then um, the mental health uh, system in general, if it were easily accessible or could be more of a focus on being proactive again instead of reactive, then possibly the need to to perform, uh, to be violent, right, and to use a weapon to do it could possibly be alleviated. So um, something like that is definitely grand gesture, right? But small changes can be made in that in that aspect. And also, um, in a school system, when you are responsible for other children, for, like a teacher responsible for a group of children, our resources are sometimes not, you know, it differs between school districts, it differs between um, regional areas like rural or suburban. So if resources could be available across the board for teachers and um, to be able to provide not only the care or the, the um, direction for that type of situation, but also a training. So if, I'm, if I come across a student that I'm seeing is having difficulty, what can I provide for them? What can I do for them? And I would like to say this should be done at the home, this should be done somewhere else, but the fact of the matter is they spend all day with the teacher. So um, we do that anyway. It would just, it would be very helpful if those resources were available to every teacher in every area because it doesn't always happen in a, in a big city or in a suburban area, as, as um, you can see from our past histories with school shootings. But if the teachers were given the resources and the training, then that's um, hopefully would be able to prevent something like that from occurring in the first place. It has to change. Thank you to my guest, Christine Castillo, with Moms Demand Action. Minnesota Matters returns after this. 
Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota Electric Co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. State lawmakers are back in St. Paul, and MN's Bill Warner recaps the first week of the 2022 Minnesota Legislature. Is this a kinder and gentler legislature now? We hope so. We're starting on a sweet note. You see, there's a lot of room for compromise. Just before the opening gavels came down, Governor Tim Walz and Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan delivered lemon bars and scotcheroos to lawmakers, first in the GOP-controlled Senate, then the Democrat-controlled House. But it did not squelch Republicans' appetite for tax relief. Senate Majority Leader Jeremy Miller says the governor's tax rebate plan, nowhere near big enough, is only one time. And what's more, he says... We're not going to call it a Walls check. It is not Governor Walls's money. It's the people's money. It's the taxpayers' money. Our proposal is permanent, ongoing tax relief so Minnesotans see more money in their pockets every single paycheck. Governor Walls responded he's open to tax cuts if it helps the people who are hurting the most. And that'll be things like reducing other costs to them, like child care and health care costs is a part of that. But what's off the table is if you're making $20,000 a week, nothing is going to pass my desk that gives you a tax cut. We are looking at lowering income tax rates for any working Minnesotan. And we're going to target the lower brackets or the middle brackets or both. This idea when you hear this, we want to go deeper. They're not going deeper for the middle class. They're going deeper for the top. And even as lawmakers came back to St. Paul. A school should be a place that every student feels safe and comfortable, that our staff and our teachers feel safe and comfortable, protected. And that was shattered for all of us. Minnesota's crime wave came into even sharper focus on the second day of the legislative session when one student was fatally shot, another critically injured outside a school in Richfield. People are getting robbed. Carjackings are a regular occurrence right now. Innocent people are getting shot. What we need to do right now is get tough on crime. Senate GOP Majority Leader Jeremy Miller said crime prevention is great, but first, crime has to be under control. Governor Walls agreed it's what he termed a triage situation, but said... I heard from those school leaders, um, people setting their grieving today was, is, is what are the things that will stop this from happening too? And I think you have to do those simultaneously. I don't think we're talking past each other. The governor renewed his call for the legislature to act immediately to stem gun violence in Minnesota. He says he knows it's more complicated than gun control. But we also know, for example, the truck park shooting, the individual who got those guns got them from somebody who straw purchased 30 guns prior to that purchase. And then we had multiple shootings in there. Republican Majority Leader Miller says it's high Highly unlikely any gun control measures will move through the Senate this year. The focus 
uh, should not be on uh, law-abiding citizens. The focus should be on non-law-abiding citizens and uh, holding uh, criminals accountable for their actions. House GOP Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said part of the reason for the state's soaring crime rate is the education system is failing Minnesota kids. One victim, he says, a man people know at the Capitol. It was a 14-year-old kid that held a gun to his wife's head while she negotiated to get her two-and-a-half-year-old child out of the back seat before they stole her vehicle at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Dowd says the teachers' union has opposed reform that would give students the tools to be successful. Governor Walls responded the state has made multifaceted historic investments. A historic increase in early learning scholarships for 10,000 families or to make sure that we're beefing up those schools. Expect a big debate over education funding this legislative session because the state has a large budget surplus. Republicans and Democrats began their 2022 legislative session with still no agreement on COVID bonuses for frontline workers. Democratic leaders are eyeing $1 billion of the nearly $8 billion budget surplus to expand funding for the program so larger bonuses can go to more workers. Senate GOP Majority Leader Miller contends stick with the agreed-on $250 million and focus on health care workers and first responders who took the most risk. We're not interested uh, at this point to expand expand the dollar amount. Republicans are so stingy, except for when it comes to tax cuts to wealthy Minnesotans and corporations. Said House Speaker Democrat Melissa Hortman, who this week floated a compromise to try to break the stalemate, a billion dollars for frontline worker bonuses, and a like amount to help businesses by replenishing the COVID-depleted Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. We could take care of Minnesota's workers and businesses in pretty short order, and this is money we have in the bank. House Republican Minority Leader Doubt does not like that idea. That's sort of holding hostage, and if, if we have that kind of a session, it's going to be a failure. It was precinct caucus week in Minnesota, and among the Republicans jostling for their party's endorsement to run for governor, former state Senator Scott Jensen emerged, the clear front runner in a straw poll, 38% to the 14% of his nearest rival, state Senator Paul Gazelka. Hamilton University political analyst David Schultz says about Jensen. I have to think the reason why he's doing so well is really galvanized the base around the anti-vaccine mandate, anti-masks, and so forth, and that seems to be a a very popular position with a lot of Republicans. And this week, Rich Stanick, former Hennepin County Sheriff and former state rep, joined the crowded field of Republicans in the race for governor. I'm running for governor because the Democrats in charge are letting lawlessness run rampant and using the actions of a few bad actors to wage an all-out war on law enforcement. DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin said Stanick, quote, disgraced himself by repeatedly using the N-word and is unfit to be governor. His repeated use of racial slurs, his long-standing opposition to common-sense gun safety measures, and the multiple police brutality lawsuits against him uh, during his time as sheriff. Stanek was not available to respond. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. When it comes to television commercials, the Super Bowl is the biggest stage. The big question remains, is it worth forking over all that cash for an ad? Tasha Radel has more. 
I think it's a no-brainer that many of us, including myself, sometimes tune in just for the ads. So this next statistic really blew my mind. According to Adweek, NBC is charging as much as $6.5 million for a 30-second spot. So the big question is, does this investment pay off? I asked University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management Assistant Professor Lin Li Zhu, who specializes in advertising. So, Professor, from your research, how much of an impression do Super Bowl commercials leave behind? Um, so, uh, my research specifically um, in this pa- uh, particular paper, um, we look at how, in general, advertising affects word of mouth, uh, meaning like brand conversations among consumers when they talk about what during conversations, um, they talk about particular product or service. So um, in general, um, there is this common belief that um, advertising can lead to social impressions or word of mouth. Um, but in our paper, we actually looked at um, you know more than 500 U.S. national brands across 16 categories over um, more than six years, and we found um, the actually the effect is pretty small. So that led us to look at Super Bowl specifically, uh, because we all know that the Super Bowl commercials are that big event for you know, any advertising uh, campaigns. So we specifically look at uh, Super Bowl ads and how that affects word of mouth, um, and we did find a bigger effect relative to like a regular TV ad. Um, and we also looked at, um, you know, online, um, we call it online posts, right? For example, you can see um, Facebook or um, Twitter, those conversations about a particular brand. So in general, we found um, being a Super Bowl advertiser, um, it actually increased the monthly total word of mouth by 16% during the month of the Super Bowl. Um, and that effect lasts about a month. Um, and we looked at those online posts, and we did find um, for that effect it's even stronger. We found like a 68% of increase uh, on the day of Super Bowl. But that effect lasts really, you know, it, it's really short-lived. It only lasts about three days. Um, and then after three days, we see like almost no effect um, at all. Um, so that's really what we found in this specific paper about um, the effect of Super Bowl on uh, word of mouth. So I think it's fair to say that uh, companies that purchase a Super Bowl ad typically generate a lot of buzz right away during the game and then shortly after the game. But then it seems to me it fades away pretty quickly. Exactly. Um, and then I think there is research um you know, in the literature, trying to quantify, uh, like you said, it's a big investment, and they're trying to see if there is this, if it is worth, right? Um, some studies they look at um, the 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 effect of uh, Super Bowl ads on uh, stock returns uh, for these companies, and uh, you know the results are kind of mixed. Some found um, positive results, some found negative results. Um, and I found one um, that is, um, I thought it's interesting that they showed that effect actually depends on 
whether or not um, those Super Bowl commercials could lead to positive um, customer equity. That means like um, customer lifetime value, right? Um, so if it increases those um, perceptions or um, you know quality perceptions, then super you know being in the Super Bowl. Uh, actually did help uh, create more, um, you know, stock returns or increase in stock returns. Thanks again to my guest, the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management Assistant Professor Lindley Zhu. Well, I think the best uh, lesson here today, Scott, overall Super Bowl ads bring a big boost in word-of-mouth impressions, but it's short-lived. If a company is looking to generate a buzz, well, the Super Bowl might be a good place to do it. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Golden Gopher defensive tackle Trill Carter of Leesburg, Georgia, has spent a lot of his off-the-field time going to local elementary schools and reading to school-age children. Carter believes it's important for young people to have role models. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm recently spoke with Carter about his experience going to the classroom to read and interact with the kids and why he does it. It came about because I used to do it in like high school and stuff like that. It's just something that I've always been big on, like giving back to the community and stuff like that, and being somebody that youth can look up to. When you go out, what's the reaction uh, those young kids get when they see, you know, a big guy like you, right? I'm sure they're uh, wide-eyed when a guy that's, uh, you know, 6'2", 300 pounds and uh, built, you know, with, uh, with the muscular uh, uh, structure that you have. What, what do their eyes look like and what do they, what do they say to you? Uh, I mean, it depends on the day, honestly. Sometimes it's sometimes it be crazy. Sometimes students be looking at me like they just want to go to sleep. Sometimes the energy be where I want it to be. Most times that's where it be. So, yeah, students, they absolute love when I come in the classroom. They love when I enter the classroom and stuff like that, even a teacher as well. What uh, Do you have a go-to book? Do you let the kids pick out what book you want to read? And what's the message you try to deliver uh, when you're there reading books? Um, most of my books that I read, it's all it's wrapped around about uh, love yourself and love everyone around you. So most of my books, that's where like it originates from. Like that's where most of my books come from. And uh, then the kids, what do they kind of gather around and you sit at a, a or stand or sit and uh, they uh, listen to you read uh, and and then you talk as well. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm like in the center of attention. Um, sitting in a chair, uh, the kids, they sit in front of me, Chris Carl applesauce, 
of course, you got some kids who are very active. Um, some of them talk, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, it doesn't change the fact that that don't mean that they don't they don't listen to what I'm saying and stuff like that. I mean, kids got different ways of learning things and listening skills. Well, and with one class, I suppose you can have an impact because you get to know each student, I suppose, individually, right? Yeah, like every day I go, I either work with a different student. Like I'll read a book at first to everybody. Then I'll read, uh, not read, but I'll work with like different students, like within the assignment that the teacher uh, gave them and stuff like that. And then if you uh, have a chance to, to chat with a youngster one-on-one, what, what kind of message do you want to deliver there as well? Is it similar to, to the books and the subjects you pick out there? I really, honestly, I try to keep it simple as like, um, you know, like stay in school and stuff like that. Make sure you do your homework. Um, listen to your elders and stuff like that. I really try to keep it simple. In regard to just in general terms, P.J. Fleck, your head coach, has often talked about serving and giving, um, and this kind of stuff is certainly encouraged. I know your teammates are doing a lot of stuff, whether it's going to the hospitals and and visiting families there and and what have you. How important is it uh, in terms of that culture to to have uh, guys like you on the team that are doing stuff in the community? It's really important to me because, like I said, I've been doing it like throughout high school and stuff like that. So when I first got to college, they said that we had to do it. I'm like, oh, I kind of do it. I kind of been like, that's where I come from. Like, that's what I did. That's what I did back at home and stuff like that. And I don't do it just to do it. I, I do it because I actually love people and I love I love what our future is going to be. And our future start with, with those kids. When you look back to your childhood and your youth, are there some things there that you maybe wish you had someone like you to come back and read or a role model? Is that part of why this is important for you and was important even as far back as high school to to have an impact on young people? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, like, I mean, I really didn't have, like, a role model or someone who motivates me or someone who reads books to me and stuff like that. Uh, I really didn't have a role model until, like, high school. So... My role model in high school was my old football coach, Coach Felton, and uh, he kind of just took me up on his wing. And then from there, as they say, the rest is history. You're at the University of Minnesota uh, on your way to earning a degree and, and having an impact on, on young people here as well. Um, let's talk about the football program for a moment. Um, obviously, uh, what a strong finish. You got the home win. You got Paul Bunyan's axe from the Badgers. Uh, you won the game down in Arizona against West Virginia. How much fun did you have uh, those last few weeks of the football season? Oh, it was crazy, especially like winning the X and uh, going to Arizona because I've never been and I never played in a game versus Wisconsin, well, except for last year. So winning the X, that was a crazy game. It was something that we had been working on through like all uh, workouts and fall and spring and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, what was the emotion like to uh, to get your hands on that axe and to see your teammates get their hands on on that axe and to really win that game in, in somewhat convincing fashion? For me, I'll say I was very excited, but most importantly, I was just excited for like the state itself and the people who grew up in Minnesota, who grew up knowing about the X and stuff like that. Because I'm from Georgia and I don't really know much about the X, but I'm now I'm starting to learn more and more about it. But my uh, happiness, it was more directed towards the people who are from Minnesota and the people who uh, grew up wanting to play football for Minnesota. So, yeah, that's what I was most happy about. That's Golden Gopher football player Trill Carter with Eminem Sports Director Mike Grimm. 
That is going to do it for us for this week. Thanks again so much for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.